Aloha and thanks so much for tuning in. Today is Wednesday, November 18th. I'm Ryan Kalesuji, joined by Yanji Denise. And this, of course, is Spotlight Hawaii. Uh, great to see so many of you already tuning in. We would love to hear where you're uh, watching from, send in your comments for our guests. And our guest, Yanji, today, we, not, we have one, not one, but two guests joining us here today. That's right. We're going to be joined by Dave Matlin, who, of course, is the UH Athletic Director, to talk about what's going on with sports both now and what's looking, what we're looking forward to in the spring. We're also going to be joined by Peter Ho, who is the Chairman, President, and CEO of Bank of Hawaii. He, of course, has a unique perspective because he knows the financials of what's happening in the state. He's also on the House Select COVID Committee, so he's been interacting with lawmakers and helping to shape some of the response. Um, and also, of course, the bank has made a huge investment into uh, athletics at University of Hawaii. So we're going to be talking about all of those things together. Together, So please put your questions uh, in the comments section. And right now we want to welcome uh, Peter Ho to join the program. Good morning, Peter. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Let's start out with the outlook for our economy. Uh, as we mentioned, you, of course, have a great perspective on what's happening uh, with us financially. How are we looking as a state from where you sit? Sure. Thanks. Good morning, uh, Yunji. Good morning, Ryan. Um, yeah, that is really kind of the question in front of us, isn't it? And, um, you know, Carl Bonham, uh, I'll read you heroes, uh, become fond of saying that uh, the economy is a virus and the virus is the economy. Uh, and by that, what, what he's saying is that how we manage and how successfully we manage the situation uh, from a health perspective really drives our economic outcomes. And so I'm, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that, um, you know, if you go into the Washington Post, which does a great job of doing a comparative, uh, Hawaii is really leading the nation in cases per 100,000. So we're running about seven uh, cases per 100,000 on a per capita basis. Uh, second place is Vermont at 14. So we're twice as good as number two. And that's allowing us to slowly bring forward the economy. So we, um, we're starting to see things creep back ever so slowly. Uh, we seem to have gotten through the incubation period of Halloween. We'll see how we do with Thanksgiving and Christmas holidays, uh, but so far so good. And we're also 30 days into the, um, the Safe Travels program, which I think to date is showing to be you know, pretty darn effective in, in managing the virus while still allowing visitors to come in. So that's the, I think that's the near-term good news, Yunji. Um, the, the challenge is, as we see it moving forward is that, you know, there's still a long ways to run here. And, um, you know, people are beginning to describe uh, a letter for the first time in kind of economic outcomes, which is a K-shaped economy. Uh, and that is a, an economy where certain sectors of the community or, or the economy do well uh, as we emerge and certain sectors do not do so well. And uh, we're, we, we see evidence of that as a possibility. And that I think as a community and as a state is something we need to be thinking about because there are, there are, um, there are elements of our community that are doing just fine, relatively unaffected by the, by the pandemic. And then there are big pieces as I think evidenced by unemployment of folks that are just really uh, taken in the shorts. And, and frankly, it's tough to figure out how we move forward on that front. And that's really where our focus has to be. You know, it's so difficult at this point in time because the, there's so much uncertainties that this whole year has provided. Um, but if you can, what do you think 2021 will look like for the state from an economic standpoint, uh, looking at 
where you're sitting as a financial institution in this state and as you sort of project out what we're seeing with the overall economy, uh, what is your perspective looking at the financial side of the state and where we're at going into next year? Yeah, so Ryan, I think where, where we first um, process around, if you will, is what's the timing look like? And so if you think back, this uh, pandemic really hit us in uh, March, call it. So we're about eight months in. And if you think forward around the great news around uh, the vaccines, at least preliminarily, great news around vaccines, encouraging news around treatment options, that still lays a later 2021 kind of time frame. And so if you think about that, if we've been through eight months, there's probably another eight months in front of us. So in other words, we're at halftime, call it, right? And you know, the good news is we're halfway through. The tougher news is, you know, people are tired, and I get that. And people are definitely emotionally, physically, psychologically, uh, you know, they're spent at this point, and we still have a fair amount of um, of, of ground to, to cover off on. So I, I'd begin with that uh, and recognize that you know we're we're midstream. We've got a long ways to go. Uh, and then I could come back to uh, kind of my earlier comments, uh, which were around managing the, the the infection rate. And if we can do that, we can continue to see the local economy continue to percolate up. Uh, we can continue to see the visitor economy begin to expand. And, and that's going to be awfully important because, um, you know, DBED had a statistic out recently that said that 25% of all small businesses have, have effectively shuttered at this point, which is a devastating thought when you think about it. And, and it's just awfully difficult for small businesses, medium-sized businesses even, to continue on in this diminished state of economic activity. And so the faster we can get back towards normal and the, the steeper the slope towards normal that we can, we can take our economy and our community on, the better off we'll all be. And, and that's really, I think, the important thing to take away as we think about how do we generate economic outcome and how is that related to how we manage the, uh, the infection situation here in our community. If we are indeed at halftime, then the work that the state is going to be doing is going to be critical. Can you tell us a little bit about your work with the House Select COVID Committee? And, um, you know, I know session doesn't actually start until January, but what are some things that are being considered and being worked on uh, from that committee? Yeah, so, Yunji, I, I think that, uh, well, first of all, I think that um, um, Speaker Psyche was, was very um, uh, thoughtful and, um, um, you know, very much kind of seeing the future when he put the select committee together because it's it's a it's a um, organization of business, government, the not-for-profit sector, the community as a whole, and it's really been that combined effort that's gotten us, I think, to a pretty good outcome to date. Uh, we've got a lot of work to do. I think uh, the state's done a great job in building up the Department of Health, uh, which obviously is a critical uh, thing for us to have gotten to. I think we're there, not that we're done, but we're, we're definitely trending in the right direction. And you know, we'll start to have to begin thinking about how do we uh, support uh, the state system with um, what's obviously gonna be a diminished level of revenue into, into that entity. But think about, you know, you know, thankfully think about vaccine distribution. I mean, that's obviously gonna be high on uh, the DOH as well as the state's uh, laundry list of things to get done. And then kind of back to the economy and how can we fast track 
whatever projects and just stimulus efforts available to kind of get us through this uh, this air pocket of, of economic activity, if you will. You know, when we talk about getting back to some sense of normalcy, there is going to be a part of us that will have to evolve and change. And a lot of that just goes with the overall workforce and the workplace uh, environment and what that looks like. There's still going to be people going into 2021 that may not be comfortable heading into work. Uh, for you and, and your institution at the Bank of Hawaii, uh, how are you so, sort of adapting to that, uh, knowing that some people would prefer to work from home? And how do you think that overall is going to impact the way in which the work environment looks for many in the state? Yeah, so it, it, and it's a great question and a lot of discussion around that right now, Ryan. And um, yeah, we were very fortunate. We have the, you know, thankfully we have the technology and we've invested in uh, those resources to enable us really day one. So by mid-March, we'd cut over to a work from home environment for those of our employees that, that can work from home. And as you know, we've got a pretty large branch network. And so a number of our employees have been working on site in a, in a much different environment, you know, for them themselves as well. So a lot more social distancing considerations happening there. Um, for those working from home, um, I guess the next question is, at what point do we go back to normal? And do we go back to normal? And, and I think that that is very much a pregnant uh, question out there. I mean, there's a lot of uh, push around, gee, you know, maybe things never go back to the way they were. I'm, I'm a little um, 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 lesser of that mind. I think that, um, you know, it's great that technologies allowed most businesses and most people to be able to safeguard themselves from their own, from their own home uh, against this pandemic situation. I also think that people are people and thankfully so. And, you know, we, we, you know, we, we enjoy congregating. We, we enjoy the person to person uh, interaction. And so I think what will happen is you know, we swung wildly one way and likely the new normal will be a pivot back to a certain extent. So we'll never quite go back to the way things were, but I think we'll also revert back from where we are right now. I wanna get back to one statistic before we shift gears and talk about the, um, the, the, the arena. And that is that the 25% of small businesses that you referenced, I, I'd imagine that a number of those are, are also customers of the bank. What sectors do you see as the most vulnerable in that 25%? What businesses are we losing right now? Um, you know, we tend to think of restaurants, but there have to be others. Who are you seeing as the most vulnerable? Yeah, Yunji, it's, it's um, um, really, um, if you think about it, it's um, um, those 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 businesses that were somewhat um, under fire going into COVID have have been hit even more so through COVID. Is COVID? So in other words, COVID's a bit of an accelerator. So when you when you look at um, you know small uh, restaurants, mom and pop restaurants, um, you know those margins were awfully tough pre-COVID. Uh, for lots of different reasons, national competitors and the like. And then when you go into an economic environment where you basically flush out, you know, half to two thirds of, of activity, you know, obviously things get that much tougher. And so, um, you know, the, the same can be said of retailers and what's been happening in the online environment. And so I think what COVID has shown us is that, um, you know, there's certain parts of our business segment that we're having stress and trouble 
to begin with uh, pre-COVID. And what COVID has done is really just uh, uh, exemplify and illuminate, if you will, uh, the, those issues through, through this pandemic environment. Well, we know that the Bank of Hawaii has certainly been a part of the community and doing a lot of making generous donations to the Resiliency Fund and to many other nonprofits throughout the community. And last week, it was announced that Bank of Hawaii's further partnership with the University of Hawaii Athletics Program. Right now, we want to bring in David Matlin, Athletics Director from the University of Hawaii, who's joining us uh, to talk more a little bit about a specific donation that the bank made directly to athletics. Uh, David, great to see you. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Peter, if you can talk about what uh, sort of initiated this donation and what the donation was to the University of Hawaii. Sure. Um, so, uh, first of all, Dave, great to see you. And thanks again for all of your support. Um, Thank you, so, Peter. Interestingly, this, this is a concept that uh, well preceded uh, COVID-19. And so uh, Dave and I had been in discussions for, for a while around possibly um, having the naming rights to San Sheriff Center, uh, really specifically with Simplify in mind. And, and in my view, uh, the Stan Sheriff really is, is, a, is a symbol of excellence and innovation. Because you think about, you know, uh, it's tough to get anything done in this town, getting a 10,300 seat arena placed in the middle of the University of Hawaii, Manoa, uh, probably had to have been a difficult task in the late 80s. So uh, we had a need to socialize our Simplify brand and, Dave and I had been in discussions for a while around how to make that happen. And then I think when COVID hit, we both realized, hey, you know, the need's never been greater than right now. So let's let's step on the accelerator. Well, and Dave, to that end, of course, as Peter noted, the, the need has never been greater. I know that the university is under financial pressures as well. What kind of a difference is this uh, donation going to mean for the program? Well, it's, it's a huge difference, obviously. Um, uh, first of all, good to see everybody. Um, and, um, you know, thanks, Peter and Bank of Hawaii for this gift. What it is, is it's, it's a huge gift of hope. But also, we, you know, we, we have economic challenges just like everyone else. This, this, this will make a big difference for our student athletes in being able to really take care of some core essential needs, whether it's, um, you know, ed educating them with tutors, uh, nutrition, just so many other areas. And, you know, obviously with funds being short now. So it's, uh, but even more than that, what I really see, this is just a, a gift of hope for our whole team and our community just to rally around. So we're super excited about it and very thankful. Peter, I want to talk a little bit about the name Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center. How did you folks kind of come up with this uh, name? And if you can sort of explain what Simplify is for maybe for some people who aren't as familiar with the Bank of Hawaii brand. Sure. Well, just, um, Maybe to, to start with, um, uh, one thing that was very important to, to Bank of Hawaii, and I, I know important to, to Dave and the university, uh, was to recognize that um, you know the name Stan Sheriff uh, on that facility uh, is awfully important. And so it began with thinking of a way to not replace uh, that name um, or Stan's legacy, but to potentially uh, think of ways to potentially augment um, the name and the facility. Uh, Simplify is um, really our sub-brand for our online products. So it's a couple of years old now. Uh, we, we think it's in many ways, um, you know, really representative of uh, a lot of the future of the organization. So we thought it was important to begin to uh, more fully socialize that concept and name uh, with our community. And, and frankly, we thought that the 
the arena, the, you know, what was originally the special events arena and now the Stan Sheriff Center and now uh, Simplify Arena at the Stan Sheriff Center uh, was just the perfect spot to, to help get that done. And Dave, what's the response been like to the name change? You know, it's been very positive. I think what's what's really good, um, I mean, he, what, what Peter mentioned is about keeping Stan's legacy intact. And Rich Seraph, his son, who has done an incredible job at managing the arena, I mean, it's 25 years old and it, it is in great shape. He's it, he, It's really a testament to him and his team's work. But he's been involved in, in the process. And really, I look at this as just a, a great opportunity to, to focus on his dad and um, to introduce Stan Sheriff to, to a new generation of people who might not have heard of him, who are just coming of age now. And I know that was one of Peter's and the bank's uh, you know, goals also. You know, Peter, as part of uh, this perspective of giving back, of course, the University of Hawaii is a beneficiary of this gift. Uh, but from a broader perspective, it also is sort of a way to help revitalize the economy as a whole and, and provide some sort of sense of hope. I mean, uh, if you can speak to that context of how this donation uh, goes well beyond maybe what you guys are doing with the University of Hawaii Athletics program. Sure. Well, you know, uh, Ryan, um, you know, you, you and I have spoken on, on separate forums on our original gift into the front end of the pandemic, which was, you know, a record-breaking corporate gift uh, to the Community Foundation Resilience Fund. And that that really was intended to take care of events as they were occurring as a result of COVID-19 here, here in our community. And, 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 and that was well needed. It is needed, continues to be needed. Uh, what this gift really represents from my perspective is really uh, an investment in the longer term trajectory of our community. And, you know, the university is so important to our community. It's so important to our future. Uh, athletics um, is an important part of, of, um, of, of, that, of that institution as well. And, and my own personal view, and I, I know you share this, uh, is that when um, UH Athletics is, is performing well and prosperous, uh, the whole community just feels better and seems to be happier. And you know, those are intangibles that I think are constructive to, you know, getting us in the best possible future that we can be as, as a community. Well, Peter Ho, thank you so much for joining us this morning. We're going to continue our conversation with Dave Matlin, but we're going to let Peter go because we know that he is very busy <laughs> doing the work that he does at the bank. But thank you so much. And of course, uh, you know, wonderful news about this donation to the university. Mahalo. Thank you. Thanks, thank Peter. You. Thank you. Uh, Dave, let's talk about the, the arena itself. When do you actually expect to be able to have fans in the stands again? Yeah, that's a real good question. Um, I don't know the answer. I don't think it will be through this calendar year. Um, you know, so we'll, you know, obviously there's a lot of talk about vaccines and, you know, we'll see how all that plays out. But uh, we obviously have to follow, you know, city and county and state guidelines as well as our conference, our conference guidelines. But for right now, we have no uh, intentions of having any fans in the stands uh, through 2021. You know, when you think about that, uh, that's just a huge part of just the overall revenue stream for the athletic department. Uh, of course, we know that that's happening with football that's currently happening now with fans not being allowed at Aloha Stadium now uh, going into spring with those sports as well. How is that impacting the overall budget of the athletic department and how are you sort of managing? Uh, you guys were already working on a tight budget at, as is. Yeah. Uh, how do you facilitate and continue to manage the operations of athletics knowing that you can't have that additional sense of revenue coming in? Yeah, well, it's obviously a big challenge. Uh, first off, you know, gifts like Bank of Hawaii and what Peter did helps a lot going going you know towards that. Um, also, 
you know, I mean, so we look, we look at other campaigns just to generate money. We have this Bose Together campaign that we just launched. But in the end, what we have to do is, you know, when, when you when you um, reduce sport, when you were, you know, we're, we're doing, we're having less competition. So there's, that hurts you on a revenue side, but it also affects you on the expense side too. Because if you're traveling less, you, you, you cut some costs down. So your, your, your net is, is you know negative to the to, to the bottom line but not as much as people might think but we, we have every week i meet with my associate athletic directors and it's pretty much we look at wh what cost cutting can we do that doesn't hit our core mission for our student athletes and what revenue generating opportunities are there um and we, we you know that's that's a weekly meeting and um you know we, we, we we're going to obviously continue that throughout this so it's just challenging um you know, obviously, we were very fortunate when the Mountain West decided to pay for our testing because testing can be very expensive. So that was um, something that we were concerned about from a um, expense side. But um, the Mountain West Reserve Fund actually covered that, so that was a big positive for us. Well, let's talk a little bit about the schedule. I mean, the cases on the mainland. Peter pointed out at the top of the program that we are in a very fortunate position with just seven cases per hundred thousand. But when you look at states, you know, California being one of them, and obviously you're playing teams there. Um, what do the rising numbers on the mainland mean for the schedule? Is there any consideration to change any of the games that are on there? And what about other uh, sports coming up in the spring? Yeah, well, as far as football, the good thing is we've had we only we have four road games and three of the four are done. So we have we have one game remaining in San Jose. Uh, I mean, you look at uh, every week when we meet, I meet with the ADs in the conference office twice a week at a minimum. Uh, right now, New Mexico has moved out of New Mexico and they're playing their home games in UNLV. So in theory, if San Jose became it was a problem when we have to go there in three weeks, we would look at alternatives, whether it be in Hawaii, because uh, New Mexico actually played their home game at San Jose before they got the UNLV deal. Uh, so we're looking at different venue possibilities, um, you know, hoping for the best, but preparing for other scenarios. As far as other sports, um, you know, right now basketball is scheduled. Uh, the Big West schedule is 20 games, uh, 10 home and 10 road. We've modified it to play Friday and Saturday instead of Thursday and Saturday, uh, get people in and out, uh, less travel. Um, and, we, and, we only play, and we play the same team both times. So we don't do home and home. So we're only going to five cities instead of 10 cities uh, for basketball. Uh, you know, obviously there's a lot of protocols in place with all that. As far as um, volleyball and some other sports, uh, the schedules are not determined yet, but um, you know, there, there could be some challenges there because you, you, you don't want everything going on at the same time. So you have to, you have to really be thoughtful in these schedules. Yeah, that was my next question. Obviously with, this is sort of unprecedented, right? Where you're, you're moving women's volleyball into a uh, time of the year when normally they're not playing and just overall facilities and resources. Uh, so if essentially you're having all your indoor sports with both men's and women's basketball and potentially men's and women's volleyball happening all at the same time. I mean, how was, how do you manage that operationally and logistically with trainers and resources and facilities? I mean, that that's going to be logistically a challenge, I imagine. No, no question. You, you mentioned athletic trainers. You know, first of all, I want to give a shout out to Lynn Nakagawa, our head athletic trainer, and our whole training team. They have been phenomenal, and our team doctor. I mean, you know, the the testing, the, all the work they're doing. Um, gosh, you talk about tough jobs, and and they've just been amazing. But you're right. You have to look at the, um, you know, from the medical perspective, from the facilities, the facility managers. Uh, you really have to work with the conference a lot to set a schedule where you know you 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 can squeeze in uh, both volleyballs at the same time. Uh, I think part of it comes down to strategic scheduling 
and um, hopefully uh, staggering them when there's as le less overlap as possible. Uh, but it's all it, you got to look at when the NCAA championship is going to be and back it up from then. So, um, you know, it, it, it is challenging. Um, I, I'll tell you one thing. If we would have played spring football, I don't know how we would have done it. I, I, I actually think that we, we with just from the medical perspective, um, I don't think it was possible. I mean, from an operational, we would have had to make some really tough decisions. Now I think we got a we got a shot to figure it all out, but it, it is a it is a, a pretty big puzzle that you got to piece together, and you don't control all the, you know, all the all the inputs in it. So, um, go on. well, I'm wondering if you can tell us a little bit about the protocols for the student athletes when they get tested. Do they get tested before they leave, and when they come back, and for home games, do they all get tested before the matches? I mean, how does that actually work? Yeah, the the what, what happens is um. We, um, for football, once they start competition, we're testing three times a week. Um, uh, so it's Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday, or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, depending on whether we're traveling or not. Uh, we're, we're subject to the um, guidelines for the state. You know, when we come back, we have to have a test 72 hours before. So do our opponents. Uh, when we're in California, we have to have a test 48 hours before the comp competition too. So you're kind of putting this puzzle together when the optimal time is. I'll be very candid for our last game in San Diego uh, at nine in the morning, we had a one o'clock game. We were still waiting for some test results. So, you know, I, I would say some of those test results rolled in, let's just say minutes before the game, you know, and if they, and if they don't roll in, they can't play, you know, it, it's, it's, it's that simple. Um, we've uh, our football team, our coaches, our staff have done a great job. Um, we you know the, the, our test results have been really good uh, since we started this process. We'll, we'll do a similar testing protocols um, for uh, our uh, basketball teams. It will be three times a week. Uh, we're still working through a few things with um, our Big West Conference, but I anticipate that they'll go to the three times a week, uh, probably two weeks before their first scheduled game. You know, as we sort of wrap up here, there are obviously a lot of UH fans out there. I mean, I hear it all the time. When is volleyball coming back? Uh, obviously, people rec you know, know, know my role with the team there, but... Uh, what is your message to the fans out there who are just uh, itching for some sort of sense of normalcy? And a lot of that normalcy is being able to watch and cheer on the University of Hawaii. Uh, you know, is there a sense that something will come? It's just a matter of how that looks. Yeah, well, I, I'm I, I am optimistic. I, I, I believe I believe that we will, um, you know, ha ha have sports in the spring. I, I obviously I can't guarantee anything, but I am I am optimistic. Um, I, as far as whether there'll be fans there or not, you know, that, that's, that's a tougher call, but, you know, obviously we're, we're, we're blessed with a good TV partnership through spectrum where a lot of the games are broadcast so people can watch it or listen to them on ESPN 1420 and be engaged in that manner. And, uh, our, you know, Derek from our media relations and Troy Yamamoto and our external team is trying to do a lot of video outreaches. Um, I mean, they even had me cook and I'm a terrible cook and do a, did a cooking segment. So, um. So, um, you know, we're, we're trying to inspire what Peter mentioned before is our job is to, tr is to try to inspire a community. I think when, I think he's right. When UH athletics is better, people feel better When people feel better. I think that's good for our community. Um, so uh, I, I am optimistic. I do know it's going to be different. Um, but our goal is to have as uh, many safe competitions as we can. And, you know, I'm optimistic and we're, we're, we're working towards that goal. Actually, yeah. before we let you go, we actually just got breaking news or an alert that the University of Hawaii has committed to uh, football, has committed and yeah. signed a deal with Stanford. Can you tell a little bit more about that agreement that just came out? 
Oh, we're really excited about that. I mean, they're, they're actually going to come here twice. The first two games are going to be here, 23 and 25. And part of the plan there is hopefully we have a new stadium and that would be a good opponent for the new stadium. And then we're going to go out there two, uh, two times after. I think the last one year might be 2030. Uh, so we've been working on that a while. We've got some other uh, announcements, some games that we're working on too with some other um, good competition that I think the local fans will be excited about. We're trying to get some teams that have maybe never played here before. They have pretty good local alumni um, bases too. So very excited about Stanford. I know there's a lot of Stanford alums around here, so it's for them and to come watch the Warriors take on the, the Cardinal. Um, before you go, we want to ask you about Thanksgiving. You know, there are a lot of concerns about college students traveling home or, or, you know, gathering with family as people like to do. What advice are you giving to your student athletes and to students in general about how to navigate this time? Because a lot of folks will be going home. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, we have, a, obviously their, their coaches are trained. We, we talk to them about how you can mitigate things and obviously educate them if they're going to come back, if they're leaving the island. Um, how they have to come back and do their PCR test to get back in. Uh, for, for our football team who is still playing, they won't be traveling uh, because they're obviously in season. And probably, uh, depending on the, what the final, if we get any non-conference games for basketballs, it might be tough for, for those programs to travel. Some of them, it's possible that some of them will. But it's really just a lot of, com it's the mask, social distance, um, do the testing, wash your hands, and, 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 and just, you know, if you have symptoms, let us know. I mean, we have an app. Anytime someone comes on the campus, they have to fill out an app that goes on a Google doc to the trainers. And if anyone has symptoms, they're just asked not to come back because the spread is really more the, is the big concern, obviously. And so far we've done a good job managing that, but we got to keep being vigilant. All right, Dave Madden, thank you so much uh, for taking time to join us and uh, for giving us an update on all the things that are happening over there at UH Manoa. Thanks. Thank you. You guys be well. Thank you. Ryan, I like that inclusion of the late breaking news on Stanford. Yeah. I, you must have gotten that alert because I did not. And then all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, if you want alerts, make sure you sign up for the push alert with the Honolulu Star Advertiser so you can get updated on some of those announcements that actually just came up moments before uh, we went live about that announcement with Stanford happening. But, uh, you know, interesting to hear the challenges, of course, that are uh, not confined to just workplaces and things we're doing. Obviously, athletics is a huge part of our, our community and how they're managing this as well is proving to be uh, something that they are all trying to navigate through in, in trying to figure out travel and logistics with teams. And sounds like it's something that is still trying to be worked on and decided. Yeah, and so many costs associated with that, which of course is why the donation from Bank of Hawaii is making such a difference for the athletics program uh, and making sure that those student athletes can have the resources that they need. And also interesting to hear from Peter Ho on his perspective, not only you know uh, regarding the arena, but also just as a community partner um, and thinking about 25% roughly of local businesses that have either shut down permanently or are expected to not make it through the rest of the year. That is pretty sobering. And also to hear him say, we're at halftime, so we still have quite a ways to go. Yeah, and, and it's a pretty sobering statistic at 25% with small businesses uh, shutting down and, and, and just looking forward to what 2021 will look like. Uh, it's, it's scary to think we're at halftime, but uh, you know there is obviously a lot of COVID fatigue out there and, and people are getting uh, somewhat tired of uh, everything that we are currently in right now. But uh, someone that we're gonna talk to about that and, and of course moving forward into this Thanksgiving holiday is Lieutenant Governor Josh Green. He will be joining us on the program on Friday to talk more about how the state is preparing for these uh, Thanksgiving holidays and the message that they are sending out to the community, 
as well as sort of get an update on the counts and the numbering. We know that there are some questions about the new ways in which the state is sort of implementing and releasing these numbers. Uh, we now know that there's a little bit of a lag in which the numbers that are presented every day uh, that actually are released are, are really not the true numbers for that day. So a lot to talk to him about. Uh, he's always a popular guest, Yanji. Absolutely, and also he's in charge not only of the Trans-Pacific travel uh, rollout, but he's also in charge of the vaccine rollout. We've seen so much national news uh, when it comes to Pfizer and Moderna about their vaccines and, and what is po potentially going to be very fast, the FDA being asked now to, to streamline an approval for emergency workers. So where does Hawaii stand in the line? Uh, the last time he was on, he said that the hope was that we could get 10% of the population vaccinated vaccinated with the first rollout, and that would likely be uh, frontline workers and those most vulnerable. So what are we looking at now? Uh, we're going to hear about what that international news about the vaccines uh, being rolled out, what that means actually for us here on the ground in Hawaii. So really looking forward to our conversation with Dr. Green, Lieutenant Governor Josh Green, right here at 1030 on Friday. Yeah, so we look forward to seeing you then. Again, remember to uh, like this video and share it. And again, we want to thank our guests, Dave Matlin and Peter Ho for joining us today. Uh, until Friday, stay safe, and we'll see you right back here at 1030. Aloha. Aloha.